to another episode of Paranormal, The New Normal. I am your host, as always, Jeremy, trying to make this world seem a little more normal. But today, we might have seen that, because that's my guest's job, in a way. My guest today is Stephen Tell. He is a... Yeah, I know I butchered, I butchered the last name, I'm sure. But he is, a, he is a clinical and spiritual hypnotherapist all the way from Scotland, which fascinates the fact that you're from Scotland just makes it even better for me because I do have some Scottish ancestry, so that's perfect. But first things first, how are you doing tonight, Stephen? I'm very good. Thank you very much for having me on the show. My pleasure. I, I, I'm always excited to have... You're, you're not my first hypnotherapist, but you're... I only had a couple, so you're one of the one of the first few. So yeah, definitely. It, it's always a good topic. It's always a great topic to talk about because it's such unique work that not everybody really could do it. Like you have to have that special knack for it. Mm. But but we'll see how you got there in a second. Because the first question I ask everybody is, what got you into the paranormal slash spiritual world? Like what yeah. led you down that road? It's um, something I've been since a kid, just a curious, um, really interested in anything unexplainable. So even from a young age, I can remember reading my dad's Reader's Digest book, um, which was all ghost stories, um, aliens, uh, just about anything unexplainable. And I can remember even... Certain questioning why is a pyramids in Egypt and pyramids in South America and that doesn't how did they manage to do that from all that distance? So I've always been questioning, really curious, and I think the whole hypnosis thing. Um, again, I can remember about 13, 14, trying to um, figure figure it out what is this, and and it was when I was about seventeen. I'm forty eight now, but when I was seventeen, um, it was basically hypnosis what is it? how do you do this what was what, what's, what's happening with the mind and so on a way off taught myself and pretty much that's how i got into it all it was just a natural thing from a curious kid really all right which makes sense and i could see how you got there so did you have any experiences as a kid like with your own spirits or ghost encounters anything like that i had a couple um I'm probably, I think from what I do, although I work a lot spiritually, it's more of a facilitator rather than reading or experiencing. But as a kid, I did have a couple of things. Um, like um, I remember uh, something happened in my room. I always remember the the door opened and then the cupboard door opened by the time it would take someone to walk across. So I got little, kind of, little weird experiences like that. There was another one where... I always remember it was kind of through a more of a dream and it was that there was this kind of ghost type thing that was causing a lot of problems and I always remember realizing that the way not to show any fear and I remember sitting down cross-legged in this the room of this house and saying to it that you can't harm me because I'm more than this this was this was when I was really young I'm more than um what, what you're experiencing here physically and the thing went away, so it was, and it's and it's so that kind of thing has carried me, with me quite a while. There's that I've no fear of any of this type of stuff because, as far as I'm concerned, it's it's just we may not be able to see it, but it's all part of us and it's all round about us. 
I like I like that. I like that attitude towards all this is that it can't hurt you. I mean, I live in a house with a spirit and that's just I mean, I've never seen it, but my wife has and I get eerie feelings here and there, but that's basically always been my synopsis of it all is it can't hurt me. It mm. can't really hurt me. So I'm not gonna be scared of it and I'm just gonna live with it until I could find it. Actually, I'm working I'm in the process now of knowing people who can remove it. So my head doesn't come do that soon because Stuff likes to go missing, so it's getting annoying. <laughs> it's more annoying than scary, even. But yeah. and I think he's—I think it sets the dogs off all the time too. So if you can hear them, I don't know if you can hear them barking yeah. in the background now. But <laughs> yeah. it's just spirits saying, "Well, can I piping up? Maybe they're watching the show." <laughs> exactly, exactly. And oh, he, according to some psychics I talked to, he has been right around me when I'm doing a show, so he knows mm -hmm. I'm talking about him. <laughs> but yeah. so. Hypnotism. So, what what would you say is your favorite part about being a hypnotherapist? What what brings you the most joy of doing it? Well, it's quite interesting actually because when I started out, it was curiosity. It was just it was suddenly I have an access to people connecting to guides and spirits and this and past lives and and um, so it started off more curiosity um but as the years went on with it um i was i realized that it was a really important tool for healing and helping people so i think a bit later um, I and mean, i wasn't always a, a therapist i've done it since i've been 17 but i was an accountant for many years as well and um, quite a strange sort of a difference there but um basically I started studying clinical hypnotherapy. So when I was 17, I taught myself. I was, um, there was, it was 1991. There was no internet. There was nothing about on hypnosis. So I was teaching myself. So I think um, the thing I get out the most of it is really that at that time it was curiosity. But later in life, I started to study more clinical hypnotherapy and how what can help people really to improve my hypnosis skills because some people struggle a little bit to access to experience and i used to wonder why is it that some people struggle and other people just seem to kind of straight there and talk about it so i started studying a lot into clinical hypnotherapy to improve my abilities and suddenly thought what well, this is a magic this is incredible that there's people that have got intense panic fears of things that can one session resolves it or people that have a pain that, you can, that the pain can reduce down or anxieties. Um, there were so many things that this cool new tool that I had. So it put me in a bit of a strange place of um, do I want to be more of a heal, kind of healing, helping people or curious and investigating? And I seem to have moved more into the helping people. So I probably get a lot out of um just just help people i've been able to change people's lives i mean even when i started it, i thought if i could change one person's life what i do then that's a big achievement and then as i keep going there's more and more people so it's it's a i think it's just an amazing tool it's working with the mind and helping people i i agree so so much on that i mean even just doing this podcast it part of it's for the same reason because I like to get people who are authors and people who have services. Like I like to get them them out there 
I mean, I'm sure I'm sure they've done a bunch of other podcasts as well, but it's just the fact that more people will find out about them if they're on my show, even then yeah. that's how that's helping them get out there in the world. And that's I've been told by some that's my purpose, but I don't know fully if that's my purpose, but I like to think I'm doing something right. Yeah. That's it. It's bringing information to people that, I mean, it's, it's one of these sort of things that you think, well, other people are doing it, so why? What 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 contribution can I really make when there's people much higher than me doing these, but bigger podcasts or, but really, it, it's you may just bring somebody to somebody else through your podcast that could change their life, and that's a it's a beautiful network, I guess that that happens is how we all connect and um, the way maybe it all just is supposed to work. Exactly. Exactly. So I was looking at your website earlier today just because I was trying to get a grasp for what you do to some degree at least. And I see you do the typical weight, weight loss, uh, smoking cessation type of services, but what is the, like, what was the most, strange request you had someone asked you to hypnotize them about yeah poof. there's so many i mean i think um i mean it's, i guess it's sometimes it's it probably doesn't sound strange to me but asking people asking me to i guess their other lives or um but i mean there's, there's, i'm trying to think of some of the strange fears i've had people scared of paying their bills um that was one that I had, um, but I, I mean, you think that it's the irrational fears sometimes people can have. It's something. So, as a guy that was scared of butterflies, a huge big guy scared of butterflies, and they would run a mile in a panic, and it all turned out was because he, um, when he was a baby, that butterfly landed on his nose and gave him such a terror fright that somewhere in his unconscious mind he then made this butterfly equals danger and fear and panic and this guy carried that all his life so you get a lot of strange ones and I've had that many clients are, I'm failing to actually think of some I know there's even more stranger ones but they're eluding me at the moment but you get uh, a lot of it's quite standard mostly past life between life spiritual and all the kind of anxieties and uh, maybe fears and things a man scared of a man being scared of butterflies, I mean, I, I, I know things that happen when we're young can really traumatize us and make us have the weirdest impulses when we're older. But it's just, that's, you're, you're not kidding. That is a little bit, that, that is definitely yeah. a little strange. But I mean, you'd be amazed. Yeah. You'd be amazed that it's, and it's, I suppose it's, it's irrational. This is, this is the way that I understand the mind is that there's one part of your mind. So the mind works sort of in, they call it ego states. So that may be that uh, if, if you think about when your best friend comes to the, the door, you go into this whole ego state that may be friendly, your hands may be welcoming, your tonal voice may go up. Uh, like, How are you doing? It's really good to see you. you. you you've got a whole set of unconscious responses all happening at that present moment for that situation. Whereas if it was a salesperson that would be very pushy and maybe trying to force you to sign something, put his foot in your, your door, uh, you wouldn't have that same sort of persona. It would be a completely different persona that you're not consciously switching on. It's just all happening. But through, I guess through life, we go through 
experiences that may traumatize or the many traumas that make us scared or fearful, like turbulence on an airplane. And then two years later, someone's trying to get onto that plane and here's this part of them that's bringing up this um, fear and terror, thinking I'm going to die because the turbulence was so bad. But the other part of their minds that are thinking, well, it's it's not that dangerous. It's just an airplane and nobody else is panicking. So it's, it creates this kind of conflict. And so these irrational fears are really, um, they're, they're just parts of the mind that have taken up a belief, a uh, perception. And sometimes they're, it's almost like they're isolated from the, the rest of the mind and the rational mind. And it's almost going in and speaking to that part to help that part realize that it's, it is irrational and that it's safe. And here's another part of the mind. It helps, the mind helps itself. You bring one part, bring it to the other. So it's uh, so these irrational fears, they can they can be associated to other experiences. They, they can be based on something that's happened and not even necessarily in this life. It could be past life, something drowned, and suddenly there's an irrational fear of what? Or you're near a boat or something. So um, so it's, just, it's interesting. The, the mind seems to work in, I guess it's like, all the, I see this, they call it parts, they call it ego states, but it's the way that the mind seems to be in all these, it can be working in, different um ways so and, and competing with each other or conflicting think of someone that's trying to stop eating chocolate you might say uh oh i really want that chocolate i need to get that chocolate but then there's another part i need to stop eating that chocolate it's this internal fight that's going on in the mind and one part may have emotional needs because uh and it was told as a young child that uh, it will get a chocolate if it's uh, good and it'll be a treat Whereas there's another part that knows that chocolate's not very good for you and it's not a treat, but, but there they are arguing or in conflict with each other. So it's it's almost trying to change the way that the mind, this is from the clinical perspective, is trying to help the mind make those changes, those sort of realizations. Yes. And as, as someone who just had gastric bypass surgery almost a year ago, I could tell you that internal battle about chocolate has been going on in my mind since I was a fat kid. But it's it's just the way it goes. I mean, as a smoker too, I could see that there's that internal bait to bear to bear too, because it's like oh, I'm stressed. I need a cigarette versus oh, I know it's going to kill me soon. But yeah. it's just, it's just those debates. And the bet that usually the the part of you that is if it's uh so some some like smoking is they say that there's smoking the actual addiction is only a couple of days for the nicotine to leave the system. But the actual, um, the it's the habits that are, that are there. That's what you're trying to break. Is more the habits. But you sometimes behind habits is emotional needs, things that um, maybe, like you say, you may think, you may believe that smoking actually relaxes you. But in actual fact, when you're taking those chemicals into the body, it's putting the body in a fight or flight response, and it's got to work harder to. Um, really sort of get this stuff out of your system so in a way your body's not really relaxing it's doing the opposite but you believe that it's relaxing you so it's um so with something like smoking that's really trying to break down these habits these beliefs and these emotional links i guess to it yeah i mean and i mean to, as far as smoking goes it's, it ties a lot in the boredom usually too because you're just like 
oh, what to do now? And it's like, oh, I can go, I can go smoke a steak. <laughs> and, that, and that's it. It's, it's funny because that, again, it's with alcohol sometimes, with smoking. A lot of the time it is a boredom thing as well. So it might be, it's, a, it's trying to ask yourself, um, what, what could I do right now that is, because it's technically the smoking, the drinking, drugs, they're, they're a resource, a poor resource to meet a need to, to whether it is to relieve boredom or something. But I think using your creative mind, you could think, well, what could I do right now that is better than smoking? And it's trying to get your mind into finding those better resources. So it could be listening to podcasts. It could be, I'll just go out with a walk. And so it's trying to get yourself into these sort of, um, I don't know, forward would be the word for it more um solution focused and trying to break these little habits that that we kind of carry yeah makes sense makes sense but you i know you do you said it and yeah i saw on your website as well you do do past life regressions which past lives fascinate me to no end i've had a few few people on who've done them on the show and like have you and i always ask this question i never really got like a answer i never i always get an answer but i never get like the answer i hope to get one day have you ever done a past life regression for somebody and found out they were actually someone like famous in a past life or um yeah i mean generally as um pretty standard normal people um in terms of famous i did have somebody once experience uh it's a painter. I started out just as painter. They were, uh, and it was um, who was it? It was big, big painter, Italian. Um, I forgot oh, his yeah. name. What's his name? I was, yeah, I was starting naming. I was starting naming Italian painters. But I'd be here all day. I, I can <laughs> guarantee if you pick the most famous, um, Pica be, Picasso. It wasn't Picasso. <laughs> um, <laughs> Michelangelo. Leonardo da Vinci. Oh, okay. The painter, inventor. But the strangest thing was that I, I, I'm trying to remember the session. It was quite a long time. But some of the answers that was being given, because I knew a little bit about um, Leonardo da Vinci. I knew that they didn't know who the Mona Lisa was based on. Um, but she, but this girl that was saying that she was him said that it was based on the mother, his mother. So yeah. after I went looking and it was... That there was all these claims of who they think it who it was, but it was somebody like Freud or something that says that he thinks it might have been the mother. But there was other things like moved to um, France, so she was living in France and invited had been invited to France, uh, had been at this um, a gallery that he was with his paintings, and he didn't like the, the he didn't like being there. I didn't like the types of people that were there. And after it, looking up, he had actually moved. Uh, to France at the request of the king or something and saw somebody's life out in France and so it was quite interesting some of the little details that were coming up and for that girl actually she sort of ended up in a more of a creative artistic type thing she sent me something that she sculpted and it was amazing it was this little uh, sort of sculpture that she'd made and um, it seemed to sort of send her into more of a creative artistic type of uh, path in her life but, but generally, that's, I mean, I've done thousands of past life regressions probably over the years, and generally they're all pretty normal. They're pr people that, just standard normal people, 
but the, but the best thing, the one thing they always remember is that every life is is unique and it has its purposes and it's um, and sometimes it can be someone's been shown a life that they live almost in poverty, but they've got family around about them and uh, and it's almost showing this as if the the, the mind seems to know what it wants to show you. This is the cool thing about this is you don't need to be too, the, the less involved I am, the more that the mind seems to know exactly what it wants to do. Sometimes it's even jumped into a second life and that second life has actually had a real bearing on the message that comes from uh, the two of them had to be shown that relates to them now. And it's almost like the mind is trying, it knows it's trying to squeeze this other life in. So it's a, uh, so generally, but it is pretty standard normal people that you normally just come up. Someone like it could be just a, a tribes person or a, I've had a, maybe I remember one woman, it was an angry uh, Russian woman who uh, washed clothes and it seemed like a real horrible um, life. It was, she never married. Uh, she wasn't very good looking. Uh, just went, got these clothes, took them back and washed them. And, and that was her life. But then it was shown another life in Venezuela um, where she was a man. And that man was uh, had a good position in the town. He had a good family, but not a lot really happened. It was just this nice, loving family, had his position in town, done his work. And at the end of it, it was from a kind of guide point of view, it was said that the stuff that you're going through now in your life, uh, it's challenging. But when you look at both of those lives, not always the easy life, the easy path uh, is the right path. You actually probably learn more out of this Russian woman having to deal with all these emotions and this anger. And so it was saying basically that sometimes the harder lives are actually the ones that give you the most growth and um, through what you need to experience, I guess. Well, I mean, it makes sense. You learn more if you have to, you, 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 learn, you learn more if you have to work your way through life than if you're just handed everything because then you're not learning anything. I mean, it's yeah. basically it's basically like being a rich kid. Like you're just given everything without having to earn it, and you don't learn anything. Responsibility. You don't learn the meaning of a dollar. Like you just are given everything, and you don't develop anything until yeah. you're until you're forced to later in life at some point. But it's just mm. so it makes sense. It really does. Yeah, I was supposed to have a past life reading done months ago by a guest of my show, but. It never happened. I and I keep meaning to get back to her about it because I it interests me so much, like who I could have been in the past life. Yeah, it's like it's like I mean, the first one that I ever did when I was seventeen, and I was my young brother at six. Uh, he was my little guinea pig, and I was trying out hypnosis. I had him picking daisies out of a carpet, and I'm thinking, "Wow, this works. This is cool." And then I did a past life regression, and. He was, the stuff he was coming out with, he was like, this is a six-year-old saying that he was married with a child. He, he did, he wrote children's books about dragons or something, and he, he, but he was dying of a skin disease and was really worried about his uh, leaving his family behind. And so it's, it's, it's just, I think it's the phenomenon of it. It's quite bizarre. Um, I mean, I guess I'm trying to guide people. People come for these sessions, but very often it can be a complete, um, for some hypnotherapists and stuff that don't really deal with this, it can just go straight to these other lives and start talking about these lives. 
So it can be quite fascinating who we are, what we are, and I guess it's an accumulation of who we are now. It's uh, we carry all of that, all the sort of the learnings, I guess, of who we are. Our souls, the accumulation of all the lives. Makes sense. I mean, and I'm guessing as a past life regressionist that you believe in reincarnation. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you know about a guy called um, the Canadian uh, Ian Stevenson. So he used to do a lot of um, studies on children with a past life recall. So a lot of children don't even really need um, hypnosis because around about the ages of two to seven, they've not really developed a critical kind of partner mind. So um, in fact, there's a, a Swiss um, psychologist there was, a guy called Jean Piaget, who said that the the kind of between the two ages of two and seven is when this before this cognitive kind of critical kind of part of the mind starts to develop. But Ian Stevenson, this professor Ian Stevenson, studied lots of children talking about past life regression, and he said that it seems to fade when about seven years old. So it ties in with this um, Piaget, but. Um, one of the things he did about it's probably one of the one of the sort of most sciencey type of uh, things to back up reincarnation is that um, what he found through his studies, I think it was something like thirty three percent of the people that he um, sort of the children that he worked with, uh, when they found the person that um, he was supposed to be in his past lives, they had a birthmark in the same places where the wound was of the um of the person that in the past so it was this so that this was a somewhat 33 percent of the people that they could find uh, that these children were supposed to have been had they had a kind of similar um wind a buff mark where the wound was for where this these people had died so so that's a little thing to back up um with reincarnation yeah i mean it's I, I'm just for the record, uh, as my listeners know, I'm a huge believer in reincarnation. I we actually just did an episode on it on my other paranormal podcast, so that, that's a discussion podcast. And there are so many stories out there about children remembering things all over the world that they shouldn't know, remembering mm-hmm. world world wars that happened and details about these wars that happened 70 years before they were born. Like it's insane. I'll tell you, on Prime, Amazon Prime. There's a TV show called The Ghost Inside My Child, and that's what that's about. It's all these children that are kept talking about, they're going through a little, like, um, can't sleep at night, they're going through terrors, night terrors, and it's all, they're, they're talking about these past lives. So really, it's a quite a good se- uh, series. It's a little bit, it's done a little bit with the ancient alien things, where it's the dramatic music and things, but it's quite good stories. It's real people, and it's how the mothers and fathers have, and the investigations and what they've found and how they tie up to who these children are saying that they are. So it's um, that's quite it's quite recent as well. Maybe in the last five six years, maybe that was that was it. Yeah, I think I've heard of it. I think I saw it on Discovery Plus back when I had that app. But yeah. it, it was stuff like that just fascinates me to know. And I've heard a lot of stories on podcasts about it. And it's just like wow. I'll tell you, there's one guy. His name was Captain Robert Snow, I think, who was a a, ca- a captain of the Indianapolis uh, police. And I think he was a dare or something. I think he was there to go for a past life regression. 
and he had recalled, uh, I think it was an English uh, portrait artist or something that way back in um, about a hundred years before, uh, prior, and he ended up through his past life regression. All the things that he said, there was I think it was twenty eight of the points that he said uh, were accurate. Twenty eight of the thirty points that he said when he investigated it, they all tied in. And he actually says there's people go to jail for less evidence than what past life regression is telling you. So it's, it's fascinating that there's, there's a lot of things out there, really. There is. I mean, it's just, it's amazing. And the fact that the Eastern world, or actually, I'm sorry, the Western world doesn't really like a lot. We're, we're, a lot of us are brought up not to believe in reincarnation because it's, not a christian catholic thing to believe jewish thing to believe it's i mean in all the eastern religions uh hinduism like buddhism they like they all believe in it and that's why a lot of stories come from that part of the world because they're brought up that it can happen so they're brought up that when you're brought to believe something can happen you're not gonna be afraid to talk about it if you have these memories when you're a kid yeah but i mean in america i've talked to people who they said they had memories as a kid and their parents still talk about them like that but they just they just didn't they weren't brought to talk about it so they didn't talk about it they kept it themselves because they might want to think they're crazy yeah i think i mean children they are um they're so open even children will talk about ghosts as well that they'll actually i had a friend who had a little boy and uh, when there was i think like your house there was some stuff going on where they could hear footsteps going up and down the stairs and someone walking along the halls and my brother was in helping to do some work on the house and uh, he said it was in there himself and he could hear footsteps come up and he's going out to see who it was and there was no one there um but they had a little boy and i think um, he was he just said why is that man standing in our kitchen and they're going there's nobody there yes there is there's a man standing in our kitchen so children like we said they've not developed this kind of critical um so disbelieving element of the mind, um, and that's um, basically what the uh, I think that's why they're accessing it. And I think this is why hypnosis opens us up because it helps to um, sort of suspend this sort of disbelief, and it allows us just to access unconsciously. Yeah, it free your it frees your mind in a way. Like it makes yeah. you it makes you put down all the walls in your mind when it happens. From my understanding, it, it kind of like knocks down your safeguards and mm-hmm. lets you go into a trance where you're willing to admit things you wouldn't admit normally. So, which makes sense. I mean, I it's too bad hypnosis isn't allowed in like court. Like it, it could be like one of the greatest crime solving things in the world. But yeah, it's probably. I mean, it's, it's been used in some things, but I don't think they they allow it as evidence it's, it's probably it's probably because you could fake it really i think you could fake it it's hard to know 100 someone is in a is in hypnosis and it's all there's such a spectrum on it as well there's some people who struggle with it there's some people that are very suggestible there's i mean to me in my mind hypnosis is in everything it's when you watch adverts on tv there's elements of hypnosis happening in that and um, so it's happening in every day in fact there's a a brilliant book, um, and it says it's called Monsters and Magical Sticks, and it's all about because he gave his little boy a magical stick because he was scared of ghosts in the cupboard or monsters in the cupboard, or uh, in a cupboard or under the bed. I can't remember. 
But um, and it was this belief was giving him so much too much terror. But then to hold this imaginary stick or this stick that we imagine make the kind of monsters go away, it was just all about the well. What he said is there's no such thing as hypnosis because everything is hypnosis, and um, so really I think. It's more about the suggestibility. There's some people that are highly suggestible. There's other people that are very analytical and they can struggle because they're so they're not letting go. They're too they're too trying to try to control too much and that's that can make it struggle. So I suppose the reason it's probably never ended up in places like court and things is because um it can be manipulated and it's probably not always reliable. But at the same point, I think it's helped with some things where people have been able to recall from an unconscious perspective, like who some where somebody was or what car it was, the registration plate for something. So it has aided, I think, in court cases. Well, actually, it's funny you bring that up because since we're on a paranormal, since, since this is a paranormal show, because mm. one of the most famous cases that hypnosis was used in the paranormal world is the Betty and Barney Hill abduction which mm. they had they had a hypnotist do recordings with both of them and i don't know if you ever actually have checked out those recordings but it is some of the stuff that they unlocked once they were under was crazy like the, the medical stuff done to them on the ufo supposedly mm. yeah and there's a lot of cases like this um i mean you can go right away back to edgar casey if you've ever heard of that guy but Again, he was someone who was. I've heard he the was, name. Yeah, he, he was. The guy was amazing. He wrote. He started, he talked a lot about Atlantis, and uh, he was. People were writing to him, and they were going to this hypnosis state, hypnotic state, and then just say all the. They would read the, the um, the sort of questions or the ailments that they had, and he would tell them. They would say what they had to do, and it was all coming. I guess it's. I mean, it was obviously. Maybe like a channel type of kind of situation, but through the use of hypnosis. Um, so he was huge. Edgar Casey is quite a big name. Yeah, the name sounds so familiar, but I just can't place it like where I've heard of it. But it's yeah. just, I, I know I've heard it. And it's funny you mentioned Atlantis. I just released the episode like a week or two ago where I actually had someone on the show who believes him and his partner found Atlantis. And that they know exactly they know exactly where where the main city was, so yeah. it's 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 a fascinating that's a really fascinating topic. And yeah, I'm um, I'm big on it. I kind of I'm fascinated. I love even the new. I don't know if you've seen the Graham Hancock um, thing on Netflix. That's quite good. Where he's talking about the, I guess it's try to look at the sort of geology and the uh, the sort of I guess the evidence that's there in Turkey. Go back to Tepley and these kind of ancient sites that are starting to show that there was um, civilizations going back 12,000 years, 13,000 years ago that um, had technologies and understandings of things that we obviously, we didn't, how, how, when they're supposed to be hunter-gatherers. And that, that's my kind of belief is that they go back to, um, there's been advanced civilizations. It comes through my sessions, I've had people actually come back to these places and experiencing these uh, developed uh, sophisticated technological um, races that that seem to live back in Lemuria Atlantis type eight times yeah it's interesting because I mean you always 
when, when we were growing up, when, when I was growing up at least, because I mean, I grew up in the 90s and we always heard that Atlantis was, oh, it sunk into the ocean. Like that was the common belief back then. But this guest, and I'm not going to give too much away because I want people to listen to the episode. And he did write a book. He has a, he has a documentary coming out, which I can't wait to see. But basically Atlantis was where our desert currently is. And it, at one point it was a rainforest basically, but over time it just dried out and became a desert. Mm. But so, I mean, it's kind of cool how the perceptions that we all believed are just not really true to the fullest extent, but. Well, that's, and this is the cool thing. I mean, we've got this kind of big missing piece of the jigsaw in the middle. It's obviously the power of nature has destroyed this entire civilization or they destroyed themselves, which has seen, which a lot of things come through the sessions that they manipulated energies and they were manipulating technologies and destroyed themselves. But, um, but I suppose this is, as we say, there's people like this guy, Graham Hancock, that is finding, um, well, he's researching all these kind of places, these different places all around the world that are starting to show commonalities, civilizations that talk about the same kind of things that these advanced beings come in and helping them, showing them how to um, grow crops. And um, so it does, um, and it's good that the work, some of the work that I do with some people is that it takes people who are actually recalling these times, these places. Well, let me ask you this, because you mentioned in the beginning that when you were young, the pyramids fascinated you about how they're all over the world. So do you think that ancient people actually built them themselves, or do you believe they had some help from extraterrestrials like a lot of people believe? Um, I think probably a bit of a mixture of both. I think that probably connection to ETs, and again, we, we could call them ETs as if they're something strange, but from again, from the work that I've done is that extraterrestrial and other beings, it's like they're no different. They're, they're souls just like us. It's just that they, they exist in a sort of a dimension that we are not aware of from here, um, yeah. but but are interacting in ways. And, um, and it does seem that there was connection to, better connections to these beings, so there were more in a, there was more uh, interaction maybe with them. So I think that, I mean, you can go even from things I know. You can look back to things like uh, how they talk about uh, man was a kind of a slave race to mine gold. That was as an Anunnaki or something. I think that was the uh, the story behind from or the, a story from 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 them was that there was these kind of gods that came down, which gods, aliens, whatever came down, they wanted to mine. So they took something like man and genetically kind of manipulated it to have them that would either be a kind of slave type race type of thing. Um, so I think from my, my perspective, I reckon that it's been a bit of a mixture is that the sort of general um, human has been of more, more advanced, more um, even genetically advanced, more intelligent, more connected, more uh, maybe um, more connected spiritually, um, but had interaction also with these others that, um, I guess, helped. Yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of the theory that the old gods or ancient gods were all 
mainly aliens, extraterrestrials, whatever you want to call them, and that they were coming to try to teach humans how to... I mean, I could believe in the slave theory, too, because, I mean, why wouldn't they use us to do what they, what, what we, what they want? They're way more intelligent and advanced than we ever will be for mm -hmm. a long time, so it makes sense. But you, th you think you could look at that... I mean, when you say when we say a slave race, it sounds quite bad, but in actual fact, that slave race has continued to progress and maybe now as we kind of move further forward we're starting to advance spiritually and become more connected so who knows whether it's there's so many theories around about it but it's hard to know for yeah sure. i mean i also i've heard and i also can kind of believe in a theory that they brought humans here from another planet to be like mm. workers basically and just mine whatever metals they wanted or because that's actually a theory about why there's so many UFOs around my area, is that the mountain that we live on has some kind of metal in it that aliens use for their ships. So they mm -hmm. come here and they just kind of suck it out of the ground and keep going. But Yeah, possible, yeah. Definitely. I think that's... And this is it. There's, there's so many... I think it's... The way I, the way that I kind of uh, look at us is we're, we're almost like blinkered. We've got blinders on. We only see... A very small um, fraction, I guess, of what everything that is um, through things like hypnosis and hypnotherapy and into the between life type stuff is where you start to maybe then realize that there is these other beings and you know, those beings that help us and that we've all each of our lives have got purpose and meaning and it's all about um, even even sometimes the hardest challenges are actually the challenges that provide us with an opportunity to grow and um, so it's almost like there's this uh, the, word, the word i love to use is uh um elegance there's an elegance to everything it seems to all have a purpose and a plan and we're all working along and we're we're perfect ways yeah i i agree with that because i've had i've had people on the show who i had a, an author who wrote a book about lucid dreaming and astral projection and mm -hmm. he he's straight upset like he's like there are so many dimensions out there that i traveled to in my dreams that most humans will never see and some of them you don't want to see because he said like all these dimensions have their own inhabitants but mm -hmm. some of them are some of them have give off good vibes and don't seem like friendly creatures some of them mm -hmm. he said give you give you the biggest scare of your life and you don't want to go back there ever again now and the, the interesting thing is that some of us have been those beings i've had clients who have went to strange worlds and been remember there was one they, they said they were like a as like a water type world where they were they, the only way they were kind of energetic but the only way she could describe herself was about like a jellyfish um but intelligent um so these places are so it's as much as we reincarnate into this earth there's nothing to stop us from being these other beings as well and being in these other places and again that's something that comes up a lot in some of the between life sessions that i'm doing where um and even you could try and do a past life and suddenly someone's in a completely different place as they taught us alien world describing something very very strange and um at first you're trying to figure out what is this place earth this doesn't sound like earth and what do you look like and they're talking about strange fingers and different colors and so it's um there is a lot of um, strange things come up, but it just seems that 
we don't always need to come to Earth, that we could have been in other places and other, um, other lives. Um, mm. I guess it's whatever. And one of the things that comes up a bit as well is that there is some of us are beings who have came here purely to help with our um, an ascension or uh, to help us along to try and get us out of this denser uh, frequency energy. Makes sense. I mean, it would make sense that if we, if our spirits, souls, whatever you want to call them, when they go to get reincarnated, when because I've been told it's basically like a giant waiting room. That's what other mm-hmm. psychics and memes have told me is that it's like a giant waiting room up there, and you're basically either you reached your full potential and you get to go to some place that no one knows about, or you come back to or you come back to Earth, or you, I mean, it's possible we go to other planets too instead and take the different forms on or different yeah. dimensions. It's, I guess it's whatever's right for your growth, and it seems that even the people that this is one of the interesting things with past lives. If you ask someone to look, so say they're married to someone and you ask them to look into the eyes of that person, you can say, is that familiar in any way? And they may say, that's my aunt or that's my brother. So, and it's the idea of soul groups is that we are all um, part of soul groups. We've got guides that help us and they help us plan our lives. And these lives will, I guess, the opportunities, the challenges, they'll be presented along these lives but these other people, these other souls that are coming in as your brother, your your wife, your father, they have all got a contribution to play and soul agreements between each other. It's like a big, it's like a play. It's the best way to think about it. A big, a big stage play where we've taken the characters and we come out and we play these different characters and then we leave. And again, don't believe in death. I think death is more of an awakening that we were waiting back. And then we'll agree again to come back in. Again, it's like a virtual reality computer game where we plug back in again and we come in and we live another life and it may be a different dynamic this time with these soul, uh, this soul family. So, And, that, and these concepts as well, they come out a lot. The first I heard about them was a guy called Dr. Michael Newton who wrote, wrote a couple of big famous books, Journey of Souls, Destiny of Souls. And he'd... He done something like seven thousand test cases over his entire career, and he started. He started off as just a, I think it was a counselling psych, psych, uh, psychotherapist, I think, um, and was wasn't really interested at all in things like past life regression, but fell into that and started to trying to kind of do a kind of more of a science approach to it, to uh, go through each single person and compare all these people and through these seven thousand people that he worked with all these concepts of um, soul groups, um, uh, soul families, soul contracts, uh, the uh, council of elders, which were these other beings that seem to also help us, but were living a bit of a higher ascension or so, but it was, there was, I guess it was the, the number of people that were all saying the same things. And it starts to kind of then make you think, well, none of these people know each other. Why are they all saying the same things? Talking about colours of souls and things. So it's um, it's fascinating. It is. I mean, I mean, it's been one of the biggest mysteries over the last hundred years. Is and there's been so many TV shows about it, movies about it. Like, what happens after you die? Like, that's been the biggest question. Because it can't be as most people, I I believe, can't. They don't think it's as simple as what religious religions will tell you. Like. 
oh, there's only two places. You go to one of them. Like, it's just, it doesn't seem that simple. Like, it shouldn't be. Yeah. I mean, I've done probably thousands, I reckon, maybe a couple of thousand past life regressions. And uh, you take them to the end of their life and ask them. So, again, what I try to do is not lead people. I don't want to be saying, um, okay, go to that, go to the light, go to the, take it from my, from maybe perceptions and concepts of what we think maybe happens. I'll say is, okay, go to that last breath. What happens next? And the majority of people will talk about floating out. They'll talk about uh, light. They'll talk about a feeling that this total release and this really uh, amazing feeling or then sort of floating somewhere um, feeling presences, guides coming to help, and so it's um, it's so common, and it seems to be that. And it, even when you look at things like Dr. Raymond Moody did all the near death experience stuff, it was all similar stuff. Like these tunnels of lights, and um, people talk about well, they all come back again. So it's, it's the, the near death experience actually is very similar to the same things that the people are experiencing through things like hypnosis, through the deaths after the past lives. Yeah, I've had a few um, NDEs or near-death experiences on this podcast. And it's funny, though, what they all say happened to them, like when they died for that, for that short time, it's always different. None of them, like there's a few similarities, but they all have different, like, I mean, so maybe it is what you, well, you see, what you want to see, kind of. Yeah, I'll, I'll explain that and why that happens is that, so this happened to me one time. I'll tell you this little story. It was... um. It was somebody that came to see me and the guide was a unicorn. So I think, oh, come on. Something, this, this person, will be, this woman will be thinking this is insane. So went through the session. She was shown this place where she worked. She was part of this place and they helped other souls that had had lives to heal here. So she's a really important place. So a little bit further through, it just bugged me. Why Why would a guide be a unicorn? Now, I'm not going to diss unicorns. And maybe they are other dimensional beings. Maybe they were beings of Atlantis. Who knows? But um, what um, I asked her to say is, are you a unicorn? And she said, no. It says, but we represented, it took the form of a unicorn because we were wanting to show this um, girl that this was a place of magic and she... Uh, identifies magic to unicorns and it says, it says we don't have physical form we are not uh, so we don't have physical form or not but what I think they're doing is they're using visual language visual uh, representations to help us to understand what they are so you may see someone that's standing a monk a guide that's an old uh, wise monk and they're not a monk and they're probably but they're, what they're trying to do is visually communicate to you who they are and giving you the best representation. So I guess it's in a way, it's all energy. It's all energy. You, even you can look at things like quantum physics where they say that um, there is there is no physical matter. Everything is basically atoms that are then full of 99% of space. And then uh, into that it's protons and neutrons. And then down into that it's quarks, which are just events that appear. So our whole physical reality doesn't seem to really exist the way we think it does it's, it's like an energetic construct almost like a, a pixelated uh, virtual reality type of thing um but we are limited to these um 
senses, whether it's visual or feeling or um, auditory. And what it seems is that these experiences that people are having, uh, I guess that this may be unique because it's a, it's a visual representation. It's their interpretation of what it would visually, what it would visually look like, but there is no visual, there is no visual reality of it. It's an energetic experience. It's a energetic consciousness. So I guess that's why there can be variances in the way it's people experience because it's their interpretation, I think. Yeah, I mean, you could almost say it's a matrix of sorts we live in, which a lot of people believe it is, some kind of extraterrestrial matrix that where we're just plugged back in when we when our current character ends, we just get plugged back into another character, kind of. Yeah, that's it. It's back to the soul groups and the soul families and past life regression coming back in and taking, like the play, taking the different characters. Yeah, it's, and I mean, it's just, there's so many rabbit holes when you talk about this that you can go down, like trying to pick different theories that are out there. It's just insane. Yeah. But I, it's, uh, the cool thing is that there's so many people coming with these same experiences. That's what's fascinating about it. And it's, I mean, when I started doing this between life stuff, so this is past the death point of past life and start to maybe ask more stuff from spirit guides and things. Um, I, the only reason I get into that was because I did a lot of past life regression, but then I'd never really ventured past that death point. And I read the Michael Newton book, Journey of Souls, way back in 2010, I think it was. And I thought, okay, is he, he's getting all the same results, but is he maybe leading them, asking them questions that are likely to give them answers based on, that, will, that are going to basically kind of correlate? So that's what I started doing. I started trying to do it with people, but trying to be very non-leading, not uh, being very open with my questions, things like, where are you now? What are you experiencing? Try not to give their mind anything, a suggestion, basically, of uh, tell me what heaven looks like, and then, okay, heaven. Or, so their mind would then start creating a version of what heaven may look like. So I'm being very open, but very non-leading with the questions. And a lot of the same things started coming up as well. So for me, again, it was just this. It was like when I the first did my first past life regressions, the spiritual stuff as well. I'm thinking, this is cool. This is bringing the same types of things up and it's uh, the same concepts without me being leading. And so it kind of gave me the, convinced me really that there's a lot in this. And here I am. Uh, it's my occupation. That's, yeah, it's, it's fascinating. And it's, great that you do it in that way but before i let you go and let you give out where people can find you i wouldn't be a good paranormal show host if i didn't ask someone from scotland what they think about nessie nessie and <laughs> um, well i reckon i think there's been something i think there's got to be there's a, there's a great museum up there that shows you a lot of it's like if you ever get to scotland go up to the, the loch ness um museum most nice monster museum but um i mean my, my grandfather had an experience they went up camping and um, apparently he looked over and seen like some like three or four big ring pools in the, the water something that, that, that sunk down but I, th I think there's maybe some kind of pre prehistoric or some sort of species of animal i mean not loch ness is very very deep and it's it's 
it's got a lot of caves and things. So, yes. and, and and then you look at where where Loch Ness is. I mean, you've got the Atlantic Ocean around the North Sea as well. So maybe some of these things are out. We they say that we've explored a lot of the Earth, but not the sea. The sea is there's so much of the sea that we've not explored. So there may be prehistoric creatures, things that we've just never encountered yet. Maybe they hibernate. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, I, I've been a full believer in Nessie since I was a kid because I read so many books about it when I was a kid that it just, and I, that's one of my favorite topics in the paranormal world is um, living dinosaurs, which there are cases of, of different ones all over the world. But the whole sea monsters theory with Nessie and all the American versions of it, that's just, there's yeah. too many different ones for there not to be something there. Yeah, you look back to some of the old sort of seafaring days where they were talk they all spoke about sea monsters there's you yeah. go right away back to like when they were exploring the world and trying to maybe before they i guess when was it they discovered when does captain uh when was it was it 1600s or something that it, it uh, was in the 15 to 1700s when they really did a lot of navigating and discovering yeah, yeah that's it so i've no doubt there's probably something up there there's been i mean it's still you still get sightings this is a thing. Still, people still see things. So, oh, there's yeah. something. So, who knows? <laughs> yeah, I just i I knew from the second I was making from the second I knew you were from Scotland. I'm like, all right, now I got to ask him about Nessie. And I, I have to. Yeah. <laughs> there's no way around it. But I'll tell you, Scotland is it's full of. I mean, Nessie's the famous one, but there's so much you know, giants, and there's. I mean, you've got the. You've heard of probably. Stonehenge down in England, but actually in a tiny little island, uh, Lewis, Harrison Lewis, and Lewis, there's the Calony stones, which again are these um, megalithic standing stones that in Orkney, the island of Orkney, there's these um, kind of again ancient sort of settle, settlements and things. So there's, there's so much history with Scotland. Scotland's soaked in myth and history. Talk about you get Sky Isle of Sky that talks about chieftains and fairies yep. that fairies have came through or something. So there's the fairy glens and there's the there's these little things called what's called the fairy glen. It's little cone shaped mountains. It's I think it's not this is natural kind of formations, but they call it the fairy glens. And there's all this myth about sky and things. So Scotland's fuller. That's what I like about Scotland is that it's got all this soaked in history and um, just beautiful scenery. Oh God! I mean, it's like I told you before. Like I did an ancestry test a few years ago, and I found out that part of my ancestry is Scottish. And I mean, it's always been in my bucket list to visit anyway because yeah. Scotland and Ireland, and I mean, a lot of Europe. I know I never been to Europe, so like, there's a, I would love to spend like a year in Europe just going to different countries. But yeah, it's, 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 the world is full of amazing places. I've seen quite a few places. I've been to like Tokyo and South Africa. Croatia, Spain, France, Mexico, Thailand. The, the world is incredible. And there's, if I could spend my life traveling, I probably would. I think a lot of us would, but it's so dang expensive nowadays. It's just not yeah. logical for a lot for a lot of people. <laughs> but exactly someday. Exactly. That's why I put money into a retirement fund. So hopefully someday I can do it <laughs> as yeah. long as I have good enough help. But. <laughs> But I want to thank you for coming on, Stephen. It's been an amazing episode, and I can't wait for my listeners to hear it. 
Yeah, not a problem. It's been good to be here, Jeremy. Thanks for having me on again. Oh, my pleasure. And why don't you tell my listeners where they can find you and your services? Uh, so my website is probably the best place, which is just www. Well, actually, it's https colon slash slash Stephen Till. Google Stephen Till. S T E P H E N and Till is T O W I L L. It's like two will dot uh, com. Um, so people can see what I do and book sessions straight from the site. Um, I post a lot of stuff on things like Instagram. So Instagram's probably my biggest platform for where I got a lot of my clients. So again, Stephen Till, Hypnotherapy on Instagram. They'll find me and uh, see all the crazy, weird and wonderful things that I, I write about and post about. And I actually throw a lot of humour, a lot of spiritual humour, uh, silly memes, funny memes. Um, I first I found that they were actually very good for engagement and people liked them and they get more likes and stuff than my post I would spend hours writing but um but what I realized is it brings a lot of joy and laughter to a world sometimes that is stuck with horrible news and wars and viruses so um it's a nice little escape for spiritual humor as well I put a lot of stuff out on it sounds amazing and I will put your website in the description of the show so that of this episode so that everybody can just click on it and go to it but of course perfect and okay want to thank you one more time for coming on and to all my listeners you know you can find me on facebook as paranormal normal slash maniacal music musings podcast with the s facebook group you could find me on twitter and instagram as at juggalo bastard you can find me on tiktok as at juggalo bastard podcast and you can find us on youtube as paranormal new normal which we now stream on youtube as well so anytime i do a live it's right on youtube as i'm doing it so Thank you all for listening and thank you, Stephen, again for coming on. It's been a truly fascinating hour. I and thank I you. will I will see all my listeners next week or half a week actually, but catch you next time.